It's great to be back with you today, church. As uh, Greg may mention, we were here in September, and Lord willing, we'll be back next month as well. I actually got a call from Bryant uh, midweek and said, hey, can you uh, go to Longview this, this Sunday? And I said, well, yes, I can. Uh, I've been doing an interim there in Kansas City, and uh, they are hosting a young man preaching in view of a call today, so I was free there. And uh, he said, and furthermore, I, I want you to preach a mission sermon. Can you do that? And I said, well, actually, I can. I said, uh, I'd gotten a call recently from a pastor in Oklahoma uh, in Tulsa and wanted me to come and preach a mission sermon next month. I said, man, I've been working on it already, so I'm, I'm just about ready to go. All I need was an invitation. And uh, so here I am, and we're grateful to be back with you uh, we, we so enjoyed getting to be at Moberly when we came in, in September and uh, uh, just uh, love being in East Texas. And so we're glad to be here today and I want to do what I mentioned. I want to preach on missions. So if you've got your Bible there or a device handy, would you find it and open it to Matthew chapter 28. A sermon I've entitled, A Mission, A Mandate, and A Mobilization. You know, I suppose this text is one of the most familiar in all of the Bible. And one of the things that we do know and we do believe that the heartbeat of each and every church ought to be mission. But I like to say it this way. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church because the mission is about going. We'll see that in our text today. The mission is about making disciples and evangelizing and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the church has a purpose, doesn't it? We come here for a reason. We come here to glorify God and to worship Him, and we've done that today. What a wonderful worship time together, and I, I thought the music was awesome, and you know when it's awesome, it's when you like that music, and so anyhow, I like that music, and I hope you did as well. Great worship music. We come because collectively we worship together. You say, well, I can listen to Christian radio, uh, and you can. Indeed, you can worship at that time as well. But the church uniquely is set apart for God's people to come together in expression of worship and praise to our God. We're also come because we're people of devotion. We, we come to pray. My house will be called a house of prayer, Jesus said. And so we come for the privilege of praying together. We come because we like fellowship. We like partnering together with other believers, and we, we come together in this unique way because we are the church gathered together, and you know what the Bible says, don't quit doing it, and when you come together, remember, you're to spur one another on to love and to do good deeds. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is. Do you realize some people already dropped out of the church in the first century? That's what he says. Don't do what a lot of people are doing, but the church is to be the church gathered it's been tough during these days. I would be the first to confess. Trying to navigate all of this as a pastor has never been a more trying time. And I'm praying with you that this vaccine will soon be out. We'll resume in 2021 uh, to some sense of normalcy. And, and I know this church has been affected by COVID. And uh, so my, my reason for being here today is because uh, Brother Paul's got to be quarantined because he got exposed to to some others in the church who have COVID. So it's, it's that way, but still we're gathering. Let's gather as a church. 
You know why else we gather in the purpose of the church? We come because we need to be built up in our faith. We need to be stronger together. We need to hear the gospel message that goes out that has saved our soul. Faith comes by hearing and hearing how? By the word of God. We're edified. We're built up when we come to church. But what I want to talk about today is this great commission which mandates us as a church and us as individuals to make disciples, to go and, and tell them about Jesus and, and seek for them to be baptized, identifying with the body of Christ. And so in Matthew's gospel, this familiar passage, we find Matthew calling us to go reach people, to go follow this mission and this mandate spoken by our Lord and mobilize the church because we need people to get the message that Jesus saves. So let's stand today in honor of reading God's Word. I'm going to pick up reading in, in verse 18 there in Matthew chapter 28. Just three verses. I mean, how long could this take? So we'll see. But uh, anyhow, I've got a few things to say about mission. You stay with me today. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, how good it is to gather in God's house. We say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. And we're glad to be here. I pray today would be beneficial for us personally, that we could grow and be built up in our faith. I pray for those who've come discouraged and, 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 and those who are wounded. I pray the preaching of your word and the fellowship of your people, Lord, would heal their aching hearts. And I pray as well for many who are sick, those that are facing challenges with COVID, with cancer, with the many uh, challenges of life. I pray for the families that are in need of a fresh touch from you. I pray especially for those that are gathered here today. Lord, make this an anointed time. Fill me with your spirit. Speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Up until the mid-1980s, the House and Senate, on George Washington's birthday, would read Washington's farewell address. They finally stopped that because essentially nobody was listening. Nobody was coming. They were, when the day came for celebrating his birthday, and they'd read this, uh, this address that he had, had used, his farewell address, the House and Senate chambers were empty. And so soon they just discontinued it. The Washington Post said, no one listened to Washington's farewell address. You know, we're looking at Jesus' farewell address here in the Great Commission. But I would suggest to you, some of the churches have really quit putting an emphasis on this. Because they are suggesting even that we spend more time and more energy on social issues, racial injustice. And oftentimes they default to these superficial self-help sermons and rarely is the gospel going forth. But we're anchoring in the truth of what Jesus says here in the Great Commission. It's the gospel message. 
And they knew, the disciples did, when he called them to do this, that they were to go right there. First in Israel, from Dan to Beersheba. And he then elaborated in Acts chapter 1-8 to go in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So he gives to them the scope and the strategy, and they start right where they're at in their Jerusalem. That's where you got to start. It's not about can you go on the next mission trip. It is about are you willing to be on mission for Jesus? So we see here in Acts 1-8 that the Bible says that we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. This dunamis, this, this strength that we do not have when the Spirit of God comes to dwell in our heart, in our life. Do you realize every one of the synoptic gospels along with John's gospel and then Acts chapter 1-8 all give what we know as the Great Commission. It's become the heartbeat not only of this church but of our denomination. And when the Southern Baptist Convention began to meet, they began to focus on missions that's the reason we have the North American Mission Board, the International Mission Board. It's the reason that Southern Baptists have been the greatest mission-sending organization in the world. And I just want to challenge you, even as Tim just did, that you as well would be praying about what can I do to give towards this effort on missions. What a great day. What a, what a celebration it's going to be when you give Jesus' birthday gift for missions. Because that's what he's calling us to do, involve ourselves in missions. Three things I, I want you to see with me from this text today. The first thing I notice is there is a certainty of God's power. All authority is given to me, Jesus said, in heaven and in earth. So Jesus spoke of his power. He said, it's infinite. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. So from stratosphere to stratosphere, his power is unlimited. His sovereignty, his sufficiency, his saving power, and also he expects us to live in submission to his authority. All authority has been given to him in your life and in my life. It's the reason he said in Luke 9, 23, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so we're called uniquely to submit to his authority. He empowers us to be on mission for him. He gives us his power through the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, in Galatians 5, it talks to us about the power of the Spirit. And he says, when we walk in the Spirit, we'll not desire the flesh, the desires of the flesh. When we walk in the Spirit, we indeed will not provoke one another, will not envy one another, will not be conceited. And he says, you need to abide, live your life. You need to remain living in the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, which leads to reckless behavior, but be filled with the Spirit of God. It's a command. God will fill us. It's to be ongoing, and it's to be for all of us, second person plural. And I'm just telling you, the Great Commission is a Spirit-driven command. And we're told the mission is a worldwide mission. Yes, it's worldwide, but it's local. It's national, it's international, it's global. And I'm just simply saying again today, Christianity is not just America's religion. It's not a Western religion. It's not a white man's religion. It's not a worthy man's religion. It's not a wealthy man's religion. It's every man's religion. 
It's all-inclusive. It's all-encompassing. Go all the way back to Joel's prophecy, some 800 years before Jesus. And he talks about when the Spirit's going to come. And when Peter preached at Pentecost, he talked about, used Joel's prophecy to talk about the Spirit falling. And he finished it by saying, In that day, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we know, come this dispensation, the Spirit of God works, enables us to do that very thing, to tell others about Christ. Could we agree today there is no place that Jesus doesn't belong? From Longview to Botswana, the gospel will save to the uttermost. You know, world missions really began to get real traction back in the 18th century when a shoe cobbler by the name of William Carey, who was an Anglican, became a Baptist. And God began to work in his heart and life about taking the gospel outside to these unreached people groups around the world. He drew maps on his cobbler shop. And as he would work on these shoes, he would look up and he would see a distant foreign land and he would begin to pray and even weep for those lost souls. And that bivocational preacher in 1792 preached what, was, what now is known as the deathless sermon. Two points. The sermon was this, expect great things from God. And the second point was attempt great things for God. And that became the spark of the missionary flames even in America. Kerry would go on to the foreign mission field to learn 33 languages and labor his life in India. Worked seven years before he saw his first convert. And I'm just telling you this day that men like William Carey and Luther Rice and Adonai Judson and David Brainer, willing guys who went before us and counted the cost and gave their all to speak a word about Jesus to those who've gone before us, we say we've got a rich heritage in this. And we, too, want to continue it on. You know what compelled them? They came to realize what I believe and what you believe. There is no place that Jesus doesn't belong. A few years ago, my church adopted an unreached people group. It was on the border of, uh, of Tibet and India. The Kham Tibetans were the people group. Less than one half of 1% were Christians. We had some friends who worked from this North American Mission Board who had a relationship to the church, and so we began to go over there and and spread some gospel seeds as best we can. They work in an obscurity. No one knew about it. Couldn't even tell where they were, where, where, where they were located. But they stayed the course and worked hard and made a difference. Why? Because they realized what I'm telling you. There is no place that Jesus doesn't belong. But here's what the text is saying. Not only is there no place Jesus doesn't belong, there's no power that he doesn't possess. When we work with his plan, we're working in the power of the Spirit, unlimited power. And indeed, we see God's Spirit working among us as we've identified God's still at work. Jesus said the Father's still at work, and I too am working. And we believe that God's still at work, but he uses people like ourselves to get involved in this effort. Let me move quickly. Not only the certainty of God's power. Secondly, I notice the call for God's people were to go. That's what he's saying. 
present tense, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going, teach them about me, wherever you're at. People come then to our lives, and we walk in different places and highways and hedges and pathways, wherever we might be. We encounter people. We, we interact with people. And I believe oftentimes these are really divine appointments from God that we could have opportunity to share the gospel. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I, I used to take my dry cleaners to uh, uh, the guy who ran the desk there at the dry cleaners, Iranian fellow, young man. His dad actually owned a couple of cleaners in Kansas City. But anyhow, I built a relationship a little, uh, a little bit with him, talked to him when I was in there, and, and told him I was a pastor and tried to share the gospel as best I could. And, and, and so this went on for months. And, you know, I, 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 I kept the relationship up, but I'm thinking, man, this, this is some hard soil. <laughs> These gospel seeds are not making doing any good here. And, and so one day I walk in, take some clothes in to drop them off, and there's another Iranian man standing behind there, a little older uh, than Yavid, but not much. And he, so he says, hey, 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 pastor. I said, what? He goes, my, my cousin just moved here. He's, he's a student down at UMKC. He wants to become a Christian. I said, well, blow me over. I didn't say that. But I thought, you know, here I've spent this energy, effort, doing everything I knew to do to think I've hit a dead end. All of a sudden, God says, oh, no, you haven't. And I was able to pray with him and baptize him. And soon he finished at the university and is on his way. And I'm simply saying this, sometimes we never see the labor that we give, but if we'll be found faithful, God indeed will bless and use us. Listen, oftentimes, here's the deal. The message is no better than the messenger. The reason I had some believability about this, because I'd worked some months to have some credibility as well to try to be a person of integrity, to try to be a person with a consistent testimony. And you've got to do that as well. If you want to share the message, you've got to live the message. Be a good witness in your life. I often say this, example is the greatest form of unconscious learning. You hear me today? Example can be the greatest form of unconscious learning. You begin to live it, and guess what? People will begin to learn it. They will see it if you will walk faithfully with God. We know this. Being comes before doing. And I'm just telling you, who knows? I've been able to harvest a lot of seeds that somebody else planted along the way. I've been able to harvest a lot of seeds that some watered along the way. I've watered a lot of seeds. I've planted a lot of seeds that others have harvested but we have a responsibility to do our part. Let's sow some gospel seeds. Let's water some gospel seeds. And God help us to harvest some gospel seeds as well. You know, I, I want to say just a quick word about international missions. I believe in them. And I, I, I hope that this church can continue to send out countless international missionaries. Now, this has really changed in, in, in since I've been in, uh, in, in the ministry, but... but there's a lot of short-term international mission trips that, that churches go and do, and, and, and God bless you for doing them. But sometimes I wonder, are we going on mission 
to try to reach those people and minister to those people, or is it really about us? I've heard this said countless times at times of testimony. Boy, I tell you, we got back from wherever it was, some third world country. Makes me glad I live in America. It makes me realize how good I've got it. I'm thinking that's not it at all. We're, we're there to help these people to, to be on mission, to, to, to share with them the gospel, to care for them. You know, they, you see these pictures, and a lot of them is, is shots, you know, you get a selfie, and you've got some poor indigent person there, and he just shouts, hey, look at me, look, 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 what, I, look at what I'm doing here. I'm afraid oftentimes it's really more about us than it is about something altruistic, and that's what we're to go and be. Hey, let's, let's, let's be honest. We're all marred vessels. We, we, we're in this together. We're to labor for God's redemptive purpose. It's about demonstrating love and benevolence and deliverance from sin and the difference Christ can make. Listen, mission work, it's about serving people. It's about stewarding the gospel in a right way. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We're stewarding the mysteries of God, the mysterion, the, the difference that Jesus Christ can make in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. And you steward it by the way you live your life and the way you share it as well. So I'm just asking you today, would you live the gospel? Would you learn the gospel? Would you love the gospel? Would you treasure the gospel? Would you speak the gospel? You will if you're driven by love and compassion for other people. I love what it says in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is going preaching and teaching everywhere, and he comes upon a large crowd, and it, it says he was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and they were weary, it says. And then he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out labors into the fields. So that's the mandate. You can do this. You can engage. You can pray. You can plead for others. You can participate. You can be a giver. The fields are white into harvest. It takes contributors. It takes givers. It takes a willingness on people like you and like me who've been blessed with many good things to share. And this, this offering that's coming up, I, I can't wait to hear how the church does because I'm going to be here the next Sunday. It won't take me long to find out about it for sure. But let's give. Let's give some of our Christmas to Jesus. i got to quit. Not only the certainty of God's power and the call for God's people, I want to talk to you in closing about the comfort of God's promise. The comfort of God's promise is simply this. He said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Do you realize how many times that God tells his people, I will be with you? I will be with you. Over 85 times in the scriptures, I know it says, the promise of God says, I will be with you. So Jesus says, teach them here about me. 
the things you've heard, the things you've seen, the things you've given witness to. Tell about your experience and the testimony that you can give because you've experienced me. Jesus had been with these disciples some three and a half years. They had seen a lot. They had experienced a lot. But John writes in his gospel in chapter 21, verse 25, and these, and there are also many things that Jesus did. And if it were written one by one, all the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. He did a lot of stuff. We've got recorded in the Gospels 45 days of his life. There is no telling how much Jesus did that we may not have. But here's what I'm saying in passing. You and I are not called to speculate how Jesus might respond in a particular situation. Because we all have presuppositions, and I'm not sure in any particular situation like that you may have all clarity. Here's what we can do, and here's what we should do. We should always default to the Word of God. Here's how He did act. Here's what He did do. Here's what we have record of. And we have the Word of God that guides us and guards us and corrects us and instructs us and leads us in the way everlasting. And now we have this promise that I'm talking about that he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We'll never go along. We go on mission for God. It's not, it's not the best thing to go by yourself. Well, one, you're going with Jesus if you'll go on mission for God. But even at that, he's, Jesus sends out the 70. He says, well, I want you to go two by two. He puts us in a community of believers like this so we can labor together. He gives us a spiritual giftedness. He calls us the body of Christ. And some are hands and some are feet, some are ears or some are eyes. But we're all together working together. We need each other. We're better together. I'm telling you, this mission that Jesus sent these men on, the Great Commission, could really be deemed mission impossible because Jesus told his disciples to do some things from a human perspective would be absolutely impossible in that first century Greco-woman world in which they lived. First, it would be geographically impossible. Do you realize it would be 1,500 years before the great explorers would cross the Atlantic and eventually circle the earth, circle the globe? But the disciples most likely believed that the world was flat. One of the few that we know that didn't believe that was Aristotle. However, it would be Ferdinand Magellan who sailed around the world in the 16th century that proved otherwise. Most of these disciples never had been more than 50 miles away from where they were born. Jesus never traveled 100 miles away from, from Bethlehem. So geographically, how are they going to do it? But it was also physically impossible. How could they carry out this charge? Well, they had some little fishing boats that were used on the Sea of Galilee. They had no uh, ocean-going vessels that they could use. They had no planes. They had no telephones. They had no radio. They certainly had no communication. And today, I, I will tell you, I've, I've been a a lot of places. I've never been anywhere I can think of so remote that people didn't have a cell phone. <laughs> These cell phone towers are, are just, just about everywhere. Who would have ever thought it? But I'm telling you, in the first century, this was 
thousands of years to come. Numerically, it seemed impossible as well. There's not very many of them. Matter of fact, we read in Acts chapter uh, 1, there's only 120 believers. Josephus writes in Jewish history that uh, sometimes after the crucifixion, he notes that there seemed to only be about uh, 500 to 1,000 who were followers of the way. It was simply numerically impossible. It was socially impossible. You know why? Because these men weren't royalty. They were fishermen. They weren't high and mighty. They weren't men of noble birth. They weren't brilliant. They weren't highly educated. They had no inroads with the Jews. Quite the contrary, nor the Samaritans, nor anyone in Asia, nor anyone in Europe. These were common men with uncommon faith, and surely the mission seemed impossible. Even legally, it seemed impossible. We read in Acts chapter 3 that it was against the law in the city of Jerusalem to speak in the name of Jesus. And they were persecuted, and they were thrown in jail. And we find that James the apostle indeed is himself martyred and killed there. It was said of Nero, the early Christians were like lit and used as human torches to light his court. There was no freedom to propagate the message. But here's what they didn't do. They did not cower down to this grievous intimidation. I want to push pause just for a moment. We find ourselves in a place I never imagined we would be where it seems to be oftentimes our religious liberty is being threatened. The government is telling us what we need to do, where we can go, and where we can't go. And the church has not been void of them wanting to get involved in church gatherings. And I'm just telling you, I'm worried about it. I'm concerned about it. That's a, I don't want to say I'm worried. I'm concerned about it. Jesus said, don't worry. Don't want to get up here and say I'm worried, even though I'm not worried. And we, of all people, need to stand for the things we know we need to stand for as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen. And the least of which is if they tell us we can only have 10 people in church, well, by golly, they just need to come and check if we have 100. You know what I'm saying? I, I, they told us in Kansas City this week we don't need to be celebrating Thanksgiving with our family. Can you believe it? Can you imagine? If somebody would have told you this a year ago, you'd think that's the craziest thing I ever heard. This week, don't need to be celebrating. Don't need to be celebrating Christmas. And if you think for a minute that that's not going to carry over, and the government restrictions relative to God's people getting together, you're wrong. And you know what it's like in California and some of these other more liberal states. Say, well, it wouldn't ever, ever happen here. Never say never. But I'm just saying today that you and I, even though legally they're, they're simply threatening us, let's call their hand on it. Let's be wise. I'm not suggesting that we do anything stupid or certainly to jeopardize someone's health. But I'm just saying, let's don't cower down and say, well, that's what they said. We better do it. I need to quit. 
It was impossible logistically as well. Here's what I'm saying. They had no resources. They had no assets. They had no masterminds. They had nobody that can figure out how we can do this. They had one simple plan, and Jesus said, this is what I've got. It's you. Empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to take the message around the world, and they did it. They did it. You're products of it. I'm a product of it. Someone came. They shared with us the difference Christ can make in our life, and we believed it. And we're gathering here today because really we're recipients of the Great Commission going forward and people who believed it. Do you realize that? The effects of the Great Commission lives on. Mary and I live in Shawnee Mission, Kansas. We actually live in Lenexa, but the postal area and the school system is called Shawnee Mission. You know why it's called Shawnee Mission? Because there was a Methodist missionary who came in the 1800s and said, we got to get the gospel up there. we got to tell the difference that Jesus can make. And sure, his focus was on Native American tribe that were living in the area, but they brought a witness up there. And today there's countless hundreds and hundreds of churches preaching the gospel today because someone came, someone went, someone believed, and they told others who told others. And you're the recipient, and I'm the recipient. I quit with this story. Louis Pasteur was a pioneer of immunology. He lived in a time uh, when a lot of people died of rabies. He was a chemist, a microbiologist. He had worked for years on a vaccine. And he was about to begin to experiment on himself when a lady who had a nine-year-old son who had been bitten by a rabid dog came to him. And the mother begged him to try his vaccine on her boy. And he did. Decades later, he would put on his tombstone an accomplished, an accomplished household name today. But here's what he said. I want three words. Three words put on my Joseph Meister lived. You know what he's saying? All I want to be known for, I saved a life. I saved a life. And I'm just telling you today what a legacy you and I can live. If we'll take serious our calling from God to be people on mission, someone who tell someone else that one about Jesus, that can be said of you and me, we help save a life. We made a difference for all eternity. Here's what we know. There's no place Jesus doesn't belong. There's no power he doesn't possess. And there's no person he will not use. He uses people who will simply say yes. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, we're grateful for the gospel. This week of Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for the grace of God. Save my soul. And I preach to a bunch of believers today and, and surely in their own heart they give thanks to the God who saves to the uttermost. 
But I pray for those perhaps who are here in this room or watching online who are empty, whose hearts have been hard, and they've lived in unbelief. But today perhaps conviction is coming as the Spirit of God convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Lord, I would pray that they would turn from a life of sin and be transformed by the grace of God. Lord, thank you for those, even today, who are believing. The countless people who will be moved from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of your dear Son. And I pray especially for the mission efforts here at Moberly. I pray, Lord, that, that there would be plenty of givers. God, give this precious church a congregation of givers, not takers those who will follow through and give not only their finances, but of their time and of their effort and of their energy to accomplish the things you desire for them. So, Lord, we just pray today that you'd continue to be honored in this church, and we pray that we would be on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen.